Hello and welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast, the place for modern women who are waking up to the truth of who they are, with me as your host, Sarah Poet. Now, if the word sacred is throwing you a little bit, that's okay. Have you had that moment as a modern woman where you went, wait, I left something of myself back there along the way? Well, if so, then you're already on a path of sacred remembering and you're actually in the right place. We know that modern women are rising, but we don't do it by fighting. We do it by remembering who we are and standing in that truth. And here in this space, we remember together through stories and tools and curiosity. And in doing so, we bring forward the place of women in our modern world. Now let's begin. Hey, it's Sarah, the host here and the creator of Embodied Breath, my private practice where I use alchemical coaching and healing methodologies to help you live into your full truth so that you can be who you desire to be in the world. I believe that every woman has a truth that she's not yet telling and that to own that truth changes and even saves her life. At sarahpoet.com, you'll find trauma-sensitive tools, practices, meditations, my TEDx for modern women, an e-course for women to shift from silence into sacred truth, my blog with many more personal stories, information on conscious relationship and my work with couples and sacred union, links to working with me in various durations privately for leadership coaching and otherwise. You can schedule a consultation right there on the website if that's for you. Everything changes when we align to the truth of who we are, when we stop identifying with our old stories and traumas, and when we own that sacred truth and claim the path of sacred remembering for ourselves. I believe that it is the formula for everything from personal alchemy to planetary shifts. Thank you for being here, and thank you for helping to create change with your life at this time. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Sacred Remembering Podcast. And in May, we are all about the mother. So in this episode, I wanted to do something different. I've been wanting to bring together a group of women to do a, it's like a women's circle meets podcast idea. And I was able to gather two women here to talk with me. So that makes three. And we are talking about raising sons. And I know these two women uh, from Asheville, and we've known each other for a little while in the entrepreneurial scape. And we've all gone through divorce and a time of being single. And we all have sons right around the same age. And I know that we are all very intentionally raising these beautiful, beautiful boys. They're all actually only children as well. So I just went with the pure inspiration of the similarities in our stories and, um, yeah, the intentionality of trying to raise boys that are, you know, emotionally intelligent, as well as very connected to their masculinity. Um, We're very open to male role models and healthy masculinity. And, And so there's just so many questions about how to raise boys. 
right now. And we've been exploring some of that on the podcast this month. If you didn't catch the interview that I did with Joe Keish at the beginning of May, go back and catch that because he was my first male guest and we were talking about being raised by a single mother. So we have that perspective from Joe. And then here we're going to talk as three women about raising boys as single mothers. We're all co-parenting, but we're raising these boys, um, not in the same household as their father. So in this episode, we really traverse um, a wide variety of topics. And I really appreciate Megan O'Malley and Heidi Anderson for being here with me today and being willing to share stories that are personable and vulnerable. And we talk about our boys. And so this is a really respectful and honorable conversation that I'm really happy to share with you today. And what I'm going to do before we start our interview is to read you their bios so that you know who you're listening to. These women are brilliant. Megan O'Malley's bio reads as such. After years of perfectionism, fitting in and going through the motions of the life she thought she should live, Megan embraced a full life renovation, which included leaving a marriage and establishing a career path. This decision to reconstruct a life that was rooted in truth instead of the conditioned shoulds is the foundation for her coaching practice called Fierce Love Coaching, where she's passionate about coaching clients into deeper connection with their inherent wisdom, divine purpose, voice, and truth through the lens of relationship with themselves, with others, and with the divine. Megan believes that courageously living into one's wholeness and power feels like freedom, and she's on a mission to empower as many people as she can in rising above their conditioning to claim the magical lives and relationships that they deeply desire. Megan is so inspirational. Thank you, Megan, for being here. And Heidi Anderson is a licensed clinical mental health counselor and supervisor. Um, And she's a certified eating disorder specialist and embodiment specialist as well. She's the creator of the Reclaiming Beauty Journal and Wisdom Deck. It's a really beautiful deck available on Heidi's website, so check that out. And it's a resource to help women shift their relationship with their body from self-critical to self-compassionate. She currently maintains an outpatient private practice as a body-centered psychotherapist specializing in treating the intersection of trauma attachment wounds, and eating disorders through a somatic approach and offers groups, workshops, and retreats in this realm. Heidi is also proud mama to a 10-year-old son and um, everything else is really her side gig, she says. So thank you, Heidi, for being here as well. Here's the interview. Hey, today I'm welcoming two guests at the same time to the Sacred Remembering Podcast. We have Megan O'Malley and Heidi Anderson. Hello and welcome. So excited to be here. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, so this is an experiment because there are three of us on one podcast, but I kind of had this idea about women's circles on the podcast, so thanks for saying yes to that. And um, the 
two of you were invited into this because we have so many similarities between the three of us in how we are raising children. And so I was kind of writing the list of similarities and I was like, okay, we all have one son. The sons are right around the same age. Like they're all 10, 11. Um, They are sweetie pies, sensitive, intuitive, you know, conscious little growing men. Um, We all are entrepreneurs on a heart and soul path, on a spiritual path. Um, We are all no longer married to the fathers of our sons. And then there's been a journey of some sort after that divorce that there was a period of time where we're claiming a a lot of ourselves, uh, meanwhile, raising this beautiful son um, and, you know, coming back into partnership or there were single times, there were partner times, there were, oh shit times, you know, like all (laughs) all of that. So um, yeah, so those are some similarities. I don't know if you, you all can like think of any others, but that's, those are the commonalities. And, um, and I know some of our struggles were really real and um, yeah, like resonant with one another. And so I just wanted to do a whole episode about raising sons and raising them consciously. Meanwhile, being awakening women. So awesome. Do you all want to start with an introduction of each of you and maybe what you do in the world uh, for listeners to get to know you a little bit? Heidi, you want to go first? Sure. Um, Well, I'm so excited to be in conversation with you two about this topic. And um, my work in the world is I work mostly as a body-centered psychotherapist with uh, people who are struggling with um, their relationship with their body, um, disordered eating behaviors, and all of the trauma and attachment wounds and issues that create vulnerability to those kind of behaviors. And I do that work mostly through a somatic approach. And that's a big part of what I do every day and, and also being a mama to my son, Joey. So that's me. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Another similarity is that we all have backgrounds helping people. Uh, yes. We all went to like counseling school together, right? Did you get your master's together? Yes, that's where we met. <laughs> that's part of what makes this journey so cool is Heidi and I met in grad school and then, of course, graduated and both became therapists. And it was several years later that, you know, Heidi went through her separation and divorce and evolution. And then I was, I followed. And when we found that out, there was just this sacred understanding and connection um, in that journey together. So yeah, there's no mistake that we cross paths. (laughs) Yeah, Megan and I were um, in the very first class of the whole program. It's called Helping Relationship, and we were each other's partners in that class. (laughs) Perfect. We were counseling each other when we didn't know what the hell we were doing. (laughs) (laughs) And some awesome foreshadowing. Bonded for life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bonded yeah. in vulnerability and messiness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the real. That's the real. So, okay. So I was, I don't know, like 32-ish and my son was five when my divorce process started. 
Um, my ex-husband and I had been in relationship for like 14 years. So it was, it was a long time, but we'd only been married for four. That was kind of the last hurrah. Um, so yeah, so my son was five. I don't know if y'all want to share like where your kiddos were on that age spectrum. So my son was about four. If I'm remembering correctly, I will speak to that process being a bit of a blur. Um, I don't remember numbers and dates very well, but I think it was four to five-ish. Yeah, and my son, yeah, Joey was about to turn three. Okay, so a little bit earlier. Yeah. 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 He doesn't have a lot of memories of when we were all together. And my son does. It was, he remembers everything and like he's a rememberer he he holds details so it's been very interesting to see even at 11 what he remembers and grieves and he's sentimental so um, Mm. that's been an important part of the journey for him Mm -hmm. yeah we have one picture of the whole family that he has in his bedroom and then we have when from when he was like three And then we have another from, you know, fourth grade graduation or something like that, where we all were getting along well and took a picture and he's like, great, I'm going to put this on the bulletin board and, and have that. But um, yeah, they're just, they're growing up in uh, a very, I don't know, flexy situation. Like sometimes Kurt and I, my ex-husband, sometimes we're getting along well and sometimes we're not, you know, and try as you might to not put the kiddo in the center of that situation like he's going to pick up on it he's sensitive he's he's going to know and um yeah really looking at at how that shapes his identity and um working with a therapist to try to ensure that that doesn't you know shape too much of his identity but yeah I I do want to say that I'd like to talk a little bit more about those processes just anything that's coming up around um you know (laughs) what it's like to try to co-parent first of all like you know we know that these relationships are I mean we're we're all divorced for reasons right and I also want to say that we're all like nobody's here to bash anybody else like we honor that everyone's on a life journey and these fathers I've never met the fathers of your children but these fathers are the fathers of our children. And so, you know, a couple of weeks ago, things got pretty tense, like at the beginning of quarantine, got pretty tense with Kurt and I, because quarantine just kind of had that way of revealing things to us that were under the surface. And um, I found my way back to my heart, thank God. And, um, and I said to Kurt in front of Rowan, I said, you know, I so honor your part in Rowan's life. Like, we're not getting along right now. And I honor who you are. Like, I honor that you are his father. And so I want to make this work um, to try to keep getting along for his best interest kind of thing. But yeah, so, so I want to say that that's the intention, that we, we are women with stories. And there's been like really hard parts about co-parenting and about watching your ex go into a new relationship. Um, yeah, my, my ex went into a new relationship within like, five months or seven months or something like that of our, of the end of our 14 year relationship. Thank God it was him and not me. Like I really (laughs) do believe that because uh, I think it would have been really devastating for him. It was terribly devastating for me at the time. Um, But 
but I really am glad looking back that, that it was like him making that choice to move on. Um, so anyway, yeah. What, what pops for you as I'm talking about any of that? What was that road like or any fun, juicy stories? (laughs) (laughs) For, for me, the word that keeps popping up is it was a practice in acceptance. So I spent my entire marriage in many ways trying to change my husband. And that is disrespectful on so many levels. Um, And so my awakening to the truth of my relationship was when I woke up one day and I, I just knew it was divine. You cannot love this man the way you committed to in this context. And so with some distance in the separation and all of that, I was able to greater accept him for who he is rather than projecting stuff. And so, of course, that continues in divorce and in co-parenting, right? The same things that weren't working in our marriage pop up in parenting. And the acceptance of that and then the, the spiritual lens of knowing that our son chose us to be his parents is something I keep going back to. It's like, You know, when I would have done it differently, which all of us being in the growth industry, um, and I don't think any of our former partners or the dads of our children are in that realm, um, we have a different perspective. And so um, trusting that my son chose this way and accepting that I'm going to see things differently, as well as that I'm going to go to the fucking mat when I need to right? Like there are some things that are non-negotiables, but they are very few and far between because I know my practice is in acceptance and trusting in the resiliency of my child. Um, Mm. And that has been a big part of the journey that has grown me as, as a woman. And I think it's been, we've, we've been divorced long enough for me to watch my son and to see how it is really inviting him to take up space in his own knowing because he's not getting lost in the tug of war. Inevitably he feels it energetically when those things do come up, but it's very um, short lived when those things come up these days. I have a question right there, Megan, like how do you really encourage him to be in the truth of who he is instead of, well, I have mom's truth over here and I have dad's truth over here and I have these influences and I'm trying to, I know with Rowan, I see that he morphs, like he tries to morph to be with dad and he morphs to be with mom. Um, so I actually just totally revamped his therapy situation <laughs> with a new adolescent male therapist to really focus on this identity piece. Like you don't have to morph for dad or morph for mom. Um, who are you? So I'm, I'm curious, like what your practices are around that as a family or that's what you know well, about that as a therapist. Well, as a former therapist, former I'm, just, therapist. I'm, I'm, I'm coaching now so that I can, you know, live different rules, but my, the foundation of it is to really invite him to sense into what's inside over and over again. And, um, and to name the energy that is outside of him. We are both intuitive and, and my intuitive nature and language really helps. And so I can say things like, I know you felt the energy back there, right? Or I know you feel that something's going on with mom and dad. And I'm careful to use language that is as non-judgmental and non-partisan as possible. 
And then I affirm that both of us love him. Both of us want the best for him. And I, I invite him to be curious about what's going on inside. And I don't pressure him to inform me of that. I, I, because I, I don't want him to get stuck in pleasing because he's a natural pleaser, yeah. which is a part of my own childhood that I can see in him. So really just inviting him to be curious is the best way that I know to do it. And owning my part very overtly to him, like, yeah, this is something that you can tell it upsets me. And that is for me. That is between me and your dad, or that is, that is just about me. That is nothing you need to take responsibility for because mm-hmm. kids are very eager to take responsibility because when we, when there's something important going on in our lives and we don't feel like we can control it, we make it about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the way it works. My, my years of doing child and family therapy taught me that. And it's, it's very apparent and we keep doing it as adults, but often those patterns start very early. And I, I don't wish that for him. I wish to invite him back to his knowing over and over again. And I guarantee I mess it up, but I, my intention is always that. Yeah. I can really relate to what you're saying, Megan, as far as um, really wanting to give permission for my son to figure out what his true feelings are about situations because he also is, and maybe this is just an adaptive thing when you're going between two households, like trying to figure out, what's the ways of being that's valued in this house versus what's the ways of being that's valued in this house. And um, I think, I think my son really appreciates that my house is a place where we can talk openly about how how you're feeling and I'm giving him the language for that. But I also get the sense that sometimes he just wants to be let off the hook of that. (laughs) And so giving him, giving him permission to say, you know, mommy, that I don't want to talk about this right now has been a really important thing for me to recognize when it's, when is it, when is it best for me that I'm trying to get something from him rather than what's best for him and teaching him how to communicate his feelings, but also be able to set boundaries around where he you know, where he, he gets to, he gets the choice in what he wants to share or not share. Mm-hmm. So that's been an interesting edge to play with because I don't think there's a lot of feeling communication that goes on on the other side of the family. So I think he's also trying to figure out what that balance is. Yeah. And we speak to the transition a lot. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, whenever we're shifting in any way in our, in any area of our lives, there's that, that irk in between the two things. Right. And I learned this growing up as a divorced child myself or child of divorce, I should say. My mom said it would take me between 12 and 24 hours to adjust. And I would be kind of prickly when I'd come back from my dad's because it was a very stressful environment. And so I see that my own son goes through that, not because the environment at his dad's is bad, but just because it's very different. Mm -hmm. And so we just name it. And he'll, he'll express, you know, anxiety. I can see it in his body or he'll name it. It might be a stomach ache. And we'll just say, you think that might be the transition thing? And just ask what he needs. But naming the transition kind of names the difference and feels like it almost um, helps that part of his world be understood. Like there's no expectation that it's the same. I get it. You're, you're adjusting. You're in two different worlds and affirming that that's challenging 
and how cool, right? Like dad's house is super fun. All the video games and mom's <laughs> house is the, the house where he can talk about all the feels and cry for no reason. <laughs> um, like how cool you get them both and how challenging that you navigate them both. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah. Thanks for all of the, there were so many little snippets in there of uh, inherent recommendations of like how people can help their kids through these transitions mindfully and consciously. And so I really, really appreciate that. Um, yeah, definitely that transition time. And I love, I love what you're saying about naming it, Megan, just like naming it, just naming what you see. So like we as parents have this sort of metacognitive view where we can, we can train ourselves to, to look around and, and name for them, like, okay, since I picked you up, I noticed that you are, you know, wanting to lay in bed. Or since I picked you up, I noticed that you're raising your voice, you know, and then like, what might you need and naming that and helping them um, in that transition, for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. And like, in doing that, so I think what I want to talk about next is our underlying feelings as the mothers, right? Because sometimes we're activated in maybe that transition space, or maybe like just you, like I get pissed at his dad. And then there's this really important self-control monitoring what I say, you know, so that can be going on, but it's super important. And I talked about this in the episode that I did with Joe Keish. Um, Super important that we not like take that, frustration with their father as women, whether married or divorced or whatever, and projected onto the kid. Mm-hmm. And like a couple of weeks ago, I was having a really hard time not doing that because he was acting in certain ways that I, that reminded me of his father. And mm-hmm. I, it was kind of my like, Oh fuck, no, this is not going to happen. Like we're not <laughs> going down this road. Um, and, and I just, I had to talk to people about it, talk to his therapist about it, my partner about it and say like, I'm really having trouble not projecting right now. You know, <laughs> my anger for his, this adult man onto, onto this child. So yeah. How do you, um, how do you manage that? Abundant personal responsibility practice. <laughs> if that's, that's the, that's the word that comes up is like, I, it, it is a practice in continually committing to owning what is ours without spilling it over, which is something I try and do in my whole life. But with parenting, I'm a fierce mama bear. Like my Leo self is like, don't fuck with my baby. I've got that part. <laughs> and um, I also know I have my stuff and really focusing on my stuff rather than what actually would be kind of easier, which is to, to go try and manage stuff out there. And I I learned a lot about that from my own experience growing up, because like I mentioned, my dad's house was not a great place for me to be. And I, my mom never, my mom never talked shit about my dad. She never did. And she would validate my feelings. She was a school counselor. So she would, she would do that, but she never showed that she didn't want me to go. She never did any of that. And as an adult, I asked her, how I was going through my divorce and I was like, how did you do that? That situation was so much worse than what I'm navigating and I get triggered. And she said, I never wanted to add to you feeling more torn than you were. Mm. And I trusted that you would see and know what you needed to see and know. Mm. And so I think there can be this protective thing that comes up 
of like, I want to make sure you're not going to choose to do this pattern, you know, whatever. And again, it comes back to that. Like, how can I take responsibility for my shit and trust my child to trust their Mm. wisdom and trust their own sacred unfolding because they're there to learn the lessons that are there. And all of us on this call have learned through the challenges, the adversity when we, you know, and, and they have their own version of that. That's a contract with their dads and they have contracts with us mm-hmm. yet yeah. to be determined. Like, I don't know how my stuff is going to get all over my son. <laughs> Probably be sitting around when he's 40 telling me, but um, yeah. Thanks to all the good communication skills you gave him, Megan, right? <laughs> well, here's the thing. I just know what I have to give and I'm going to give that abundantly. There are inevitably blind spots that, you know, he's not getting from me, but I believe the people that do the most harm to themselves and others are people that aren't connected and aware of their inner world. Like, so if I can just direct him to that over and over again, everything else is going to be easier. I think with that awareness, but that's what I got. Yeah. He chose me maybe for that. (laughs) My, my experience has been a little different because um, I always say that my son is the best combination of, of the best parts of me and the best parts of his father. So what I see in my son a lot is all the things that I remember really loving about his father. So that, that actually has been really healing for me. But the thing that has been the trigger has been when, because it's, you know, the single, when you're home alone with your, with your single child, there's like, it's like a, you know, stew of emotional stuff happening between the two of you. And so Early on in my situation, I remember um, my son like getting really frustrated with the way that I was chewing. <laughs> like he was like, "Mommy, you chew so loud," and he like was going off on me about it, and it it triggered the rejection wound from his dad. And so, not I, I was I I was like, "How do I not project onto my son this fear that the more that he knows me, that he's gonna." leave and, and, and not, not love me. Right. So we had kind of an interesting moment where I had a little bit of a meltdown (laughs) and then it was, that was really important. I think this is part of what we're teaching as we're raising sons is, you know, when, when those moments happen to sit down and say, you know, like, you don't have to take care of mommy, like mommy, mommy, is the feelings that I'm having I, are my responsibility and I have all the tools that I need to take care of them. And in this moment, you know, something kind of spilled over on you that really wasn't about you. And I want to ask your forgiveness for how that might be impacting you. So, you know, that the, the Hawaiian word ho'oponopono, I taught my son that word very early mm-hmm. <laughs> so that we could this like the sacred repair could happen even between our connection. So that's that question. That's what made me think of. Mm. You two are so wise, like <laughs> whether that therapeutic training or whatever, <laughs> like, Oh my God. Yes. Um, these are lucky boys. These are lucky boys. So, you know, Megan, you said something about like my, my shit spilling over onto him, you know, and, and I had um, entered, so I don't really date a lot. Like I don't do anything casually in my life. 
everything is deep. <laughs> and um, so I was in two relationships, I think when he was like seven and nine or eight and nine or something like that, where, you know, I had like vetted these people. I had um, dated them before they met Rowan, that kind of thing. Um, and then they were invited into my child's life. And when things went south, Rowan got hurt. And, and I was like, oh my God, you know, here I am, like the relationship coach, the masculine feminine person. And I was working out my soul shit on such a deep level that um, no doubt it spilled over onto my kid. And, and that's just something that um, has perplexed me. You know, it's been something that he and I have worked on because being the only adult in my home, he saw me go through a really, really hard time. Like in 2019, I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I haven't talked about my son in that time. And that was something that, uh, my goodness, I taught him so much about emotional awareness at that point. And I'm, I was like, I'm going through it. The reason that I'm going through it is because this is how we learn. This is how we transmute our emotions. You know, I was, but to try to explain that deep of a soul process to a child you know, I'm sure it left marks. And I, I just kept taking him to the energy work and kept taking him to the therapist <laughs> and kept talking about it. But, um, you know, and I think we're, I think we're through, but, you know, sometimes he would say, like, mom, you are the most courageous person I've ever met. And, you know, if you had stayed in your principal job, um, you know, I wouldn't be as proud of you as I am for like going through all this. I mean, he's like nine, 10 years old and he's saying that, you know, so like he gets it as a soul on a really deep level. And then other times he was like pissed. He's like, I'm pissed that things are the way they are. I'm pissed that like we're choosing this. So, um, yeah, sometimes our like, shit gets all, all over them. <laughs> sounds like you're, we're creating a space of full permission to feel for both of you. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, I mean, it's just, it was messy. And I guess like the, me telling that story is an invitation to, to talk about those parts where like, we're so fucking well-intentioned um, as the women that we are, as the parents that we are. I know many listeners are like, yeah, I'm well-intentioned. And then we fuck up, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think that messing up in, in those relationships or exposing him to men that like, he loved, oh gosh, all sorts of things came up like, oh, is he going to think that men reject his mother? Is he going to think that men just ghost? You know, like I introduced men that I thought were positive role models. And then it turned out that they operated out of this deep, deep shadow. And I was like, what mark does that leave on my little boy? You know? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, anything that pops after I share that, whatever whatever arises, but yeah, dating relationships, how they fail, how to fix a kid, (laughs) anything there. I mean, my son basically jumped up and down every time a dating relationship failed. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not in my face, not in my face. Yeah. Well, literally actually the first time he saw a man kiss me other than his father, 
um, he walked over and this was like two years ago. So he was eight years old. He walked over with these big tears on his face and he grabbed me and he says, this is my Heidi. And I was like, oh, my God, we are going to have to work. So we're going to have to talk about this. Yeah. 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 Well, and Heidi, that's interesting. I, my son was not exposed to any of my dating partners until my now husband. Mm-hmm. Um, I got the picture pretty quickly, whether something was going to work out or not. Thank you, intuition. Um, and had some guards up that were pretty firm. Um, but that, that transition of she's my mom and I don't want to share has been this very fascinating thing. And if I did not have such a conscious, emotionally aware partner, it would have been hideously ugly because um, it could have easily been taken personally, but it was just, you know, the adult, the man was able to say, I get it. He's, he's figuring this out. You've been it. And he hasn't had to share you every time he comes here it's been just the two of you. And, um, and you know, at his dad's house, it's, a, he's the extrovert, I'm the introvert. So you can imagine how that plays out. Like he's sharing his dad with lots of people. It's a very fun experience, but he's sharing. Whereas with me, it was like, mama just wrapped her energetic arms around and that was it. And all of a sudden I was wrapping my arms around somebody else (laughs) (laughs) and he was not feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. This is exactly the same with my son because his, his dad remarried and they have together a total of, let's see, six children, six children. (laughs) Right. And my house is mommy and the cat and the dog. Yeah. But I I honestly think that I'm going to look back so I've recently started a, a new relationship that's feeling pretty good. And so Joey has sort of met this man as mommy's boyfriend. And um, the first night that he came over, when he left, my son came over and sat on the couch with me and just started to cry. Mm. And I started to cry. And he was just thank, thankfully giving him words and teaching him about how to communicate his feelings. He's like, I just, I know everything is going to change. And I'm just feeling very sad about that. And I realized that I was feeling sad about it too. Mm. That it had been really this beautiful experience of our, that intense connection. And I think, I think when I'm on my, you know, getting ready to die, I'm looking back at my life, that moment when my son and I just kind of grieved at the transition is going to be one of my favorite memories. Mm, I'm kind of tearing up right now about that. Um, So I'm, Rowan and I are moving in with my partner right now. Yeah. It's bringing up all (laughs) these things that you were talking about. And, um, you know, and it took Rowan a longer time to trust my partner, Doug, because of the previous two, but this man is showing up very, very differently. It's just, you know, I wouldn't be moving in with him, uh, if not. And I picked Rowan up from his father last weekend at the exchange. And Kurt said, Hey, by the way, he's uh, struggling to share you. And I was like, thanks for the heads up. (laughs) So he had talked to his dad about that. And then I asked Rowan if, um, if he wanted to share. And he said, well, I'm just really struggling with like your kissing parts, kissing him. And then your kissing parts, kissing me. (laughs) Contaminated. (laughs) 
<laughs> Especially during now. And that's what he said. He's like, Mom, there's coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're working on that, you know, and he's like, Can I, you know, when do we snuggle? When do we have like our time? Um, but yeah, it's a really beautiful age to be really able to be really transparent about this and he's coming into his individuality and there there's this man that is a really amazing role model entering his life you know Megan I know that you feel that way about your husband like mm. you know and your husband did or did not have children before he's got two older children okay. so it's kind of a, you know the transition on my end is not the same because they got their own stuff going on mm-hmm. yeah and and what I can say about this it's it's like blended families are, you got to let them simmer a bit. And for me, it was hard. And I think it was hard for my son at first when he was worried about sharing me until he had the time and space to really cultivate his very own relationship with my partner. And, and I, I knew when I left my marriage that the only person he would be invited, my son be invited to connect with would be a really amazing man. And it would be in service of his growth. And so I trust in, in their connection and that has lessened it along with some boundaries. Like we still have special time that it's mom and son time. And I, I feel like that's really, really important. And a lot of what I decide is based on what didn't work in my own growing up. Like Mm -hmm. I felt like I lost my mom to her husband when she married. And I was like, no, that's not going to happen for me. We're going to do this one different, or this didn't work in the transition and co-parenting. So let me try and do it differently. My hope is the pendulum isn't swinging too far. I'm just trying my best to find the, the aligned in between, but it is sweet to watch him cultivate a relationship with, it's like a bonus man, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's got his dad who he has a wonderful relationship with. And he's got like this extra role model so that he can tease out his masculinity with more um, data. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, because they are all at this age where, you know, we live in a tribal culture and they would soon be leaving the mama's nest. Exactly. Right? Like they would soon be pulled by the men out of like woman's camp and they would be made into men, like rites of passage. Right? I've been thinking about that a lot lately, actually. You have? Yes. Yeah. What have you been thinking about? Well, just just about like what are as as a mom, what are what are the limits around what I can offer my son that he needs for his growth? Right. Like, I think I have got the I've I've taught him about emotions. I've taught him about how to take responsibility for them, how to regulate them, how to communicate them, and there are things that I feel like. The, that he needs to learn from the masculine that I just do not have the capability of doing that because that's not the, my nature. And I just been thinking about that a lot lately as, you know, he's going to be 11 this summer and it feels like, you know, there's something really important that not being in a traditional family is, is, is missing in, in our dynamic. And I, and I feel like it's important as women for us to recognize that there is this other need that our sons need at this developmental stage. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like in some ways we can go out and try to supplement that. And then in other ways we kind of can't, 
Um, I think if I were honest with myself, <laughs> owning my shadow on my podcast, like I love, <laughs> like I make myself do, um, you know, that's probably what I really wanted from those two other relationships. Like I did feel that um, anxiety or like, I want my son to have that experience in this home mm-hmm. or I want him to have like more experiences with Matt. And then when I totally gave up on that, like poof, you know, the partner appears. <laughs> um, but, you know, seeking things out, like I tried to put him in an all male school for next year, like, or with, with all male teachers, um, which didn't work out. He didn't get into the school, but you know, now there's like a male therapist and then they're a couple of years away from, uh, journeyman, which is, I think it's a, it's a national program for young men, uh, like a rites of passage weekend. Um, but I think that starts around 13. It's yeah, a little I bit s- sure. I sent Joey last year to a two week sleepaway summer camp as like in honor of his tenure, sort of thinking about this would be something that would help him meet that need of learning about what his capacity is without the pressure of who am I supposed to be for mommy? Who am I supposed to be for daddy? But really getting the chance to be like, who am I when I don't have those things in place? And it was a really cool thing for him. I love that. Did he rise to it? Oh yeah, totally. Um, cool. the, way, the reason I know he rose to it is because I told him I wanted him to send me postcards and I got one postcard that he must've written the first day that was basically like, I miss you. I love you. I'm doing great. It was like, it was all for me. It was just like a taking oh, yeah. care of <laughs> And then I heard nothing from him. And then, it, I mean, I I laughed about it every time I checked the mail. I'm like, this is actually the best thing for my son ever. And not to feel like he has to let me know how he's doing and make sure, you know, that I'm okay with him being away. So yeah, he totally rose to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you're speaking to something, Heidi, that, that reminds me of just that assessment of the security of relationship with our boys. And one of the things that I reacted to initially several years ago was that, when he would go to his dad's house, he wouldn't want to call or check in. But when he would be with me, he would want to call and check in with his dad. And I was like, why, what is going on? And then I felt into it and I realized, Oh, he, he just knows I'm fine. He doesn't have to manage me. And I felt this wave of relief, like, Oh, holy shit. I'm, I'm doing something right. If he yeah. doesn't feel like he can <laughs> tend to me while he's there, he can just be there. Um, but again, that's an example of how we can see it one way through our stuff and another through sensing in from a different place. Yeah. I love that. And I wish my son would go to summer camp, but he is, I mean, I joke with him. (laughs) If I was some sort of like locust shell on a tree, he would climb into me. If he could, when he would be like, I am highly sensitive and I have my bubble a lot of times. And like, can I just get a little closer? Can I just snuggle a little bit more? (laughs) I brought up summer camp. He's like, no, too long, too far. (laughs) Rowan too. Rowan too. He's like, I'm not doing that. You're crazy. Uh Yeah. And part of me is like, uh, you might need to, you might need to. So one thing that comes up, and this might be for the, the close, closer men in our lives, like the men that we are in partnership with, but also, um, you know, there were periods of time where I was not in partnership and I had male friends that really played a role in Rowan's life. And this podcast is like mostly women listeners, of course, but, um, I really would love to hear what 
what was awesome or what is awesome about how other men in community step in or treat your son that, that elevates your son. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I wish, I just wish that more men thought about this or more men like knew the importance. I mean, getting back to that, what would be going on in the tribe, like all of the men would be mentoring the boys. Right. Mm-hmm. And for years we carpooled uh, with a good friend who had two, two boys and, he would just like scoop up my son. And if my son needed to be disciplined, he would discipline him. If my son needed to be taught how to respect his mother, he would be taught how to respect his mother. And Ben just like jumped in and it was so amazing and so helpful. I don't even think Ben knew what he was doing, or maybe he did feel this sense of community with like, Hey, there's this woman. She doesn't have this male essence in her household. And so I'm just going to like step right in. Uh, My friend, Andrew, would take Rowan when he was when he was younger and Andrew would like wrestle with Rowan on the trampoline <laughs> and um you know Rowan's own dad doesn't do that like he's like not a, a physical uh contact person but Rowan loved it and so like every couple of weeks I was just driving over and like there you go Andrew like take Rowan <laughs> and get him on the trampoline you know but but those things are just so I don't know. There's such gifts that really men can be providing women, like single mothers of boys. I want to shout it out. Yeah. What else comes up for you around that? Oh, we had a friend. Um, we, we had a friend named Bruce that Joey and I actually both kind of met at the same time at the grocery store. So Bruce kind of came into our lives because we had sort of this magnetic, both Joey and I both did. And, and Bruce was just, he he's still around as a as a friend and and Joey actually uh mourned the fact that mommy wasn't ever going to date Bruce. <laughs> but <laughs> Joey did that one for you. I know he really <laughs> did. Um but I think like Bruce just came in and I mean one of the things that Bruce would leave and Joey would be like, "Mommy, did you see his muscles?" <laughs> so like kind of the the strength of the masculine was something that he really embodied. And he also was just really interested in Joey and like ask about the kind of things that he was um, excited about at school or, you know, what kind of stuff did he like to do? Tell him about his friends. So he just, he just demonstrated interest in Joey as a human that I think just felt so good to Joey and just sort of this like love of life. He had, he has a real passion for life. And so kind of infusing that into the, the dynamic that we had at home was just really nice. So I a shout out to Bruce cause he was, he has been such a great connection for us. Both. Yeah. Thank you to the Ben's and Andrews and Bruce's of the yes. world. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So all of our boys, I think, have in common that they are sensitive souls. And I, you know, after coming out of a career in education where I worked primarily with male adolescents for many, many years, I can say that that's very, very typical. Like the, the male heart is way more at the surface than most people imagine or want to give credit. I don't, I don't know. But, um, how do you parent or guide or, you know, nurture that sensitivity 
Um, meanwhile, nurturing, I don't know, is it feminine, masculine balance? Like, how do you think about it? Um, how are we raising these sensitive young men? First thing that comes up is, as you offer that into the space is um, less of a gendered conversation and more of a masculine feminine energy conversation. And, and I think my own personal and spiritual growth informed the way I'm able to meet my son, of course, but my journey was that I was conditioned to very much lead with the masculine. I, the masculine energy of doing, striving, like creating structure and certainty, all of that was something that I had built a lot of my life around. So when he was born, he came to wake me up and I started doing a ton of, I mean, I was already in personal growth, but lots of spiritual work. And as I came into my own feminine energy more and my own connection with my emotional sensitivities, because I'm, I mean, I am highly, highly sensitive and was Try, I was working really hard to suppress that. And no wonder I had anxiety my whole <laughs> life. Um, and so by the time he was old enough to really have these conversations, I was able to have those conversations because I've been having them with and for myself, just connecting to that more feminine realm and having language and experience to meet that and just capacity. You know, I mean, one of the the most poignant moments I remember in parenting him was he about a year after the divorce was having panic attacks. And it was, it was when he could process the stuff he had been suppressing. And I remember we would do all the tools, right? Like the butterfly taps and we would go get fresh air, we, all the things. And we were just walking up and down our gravel driveway because movement helped and just stood there. And I just stood with him. And, and there was like this awareness of, I was just being with him in his emotion. Like I had learned to be with me in my emotion. And I don't know if there's anything that creates a greater sense of resiliency than that, because when we can be with what is, we don't run to addictive patterns of substance or relationship flavor. We don't, we don't do all of that stuff that lands us in a world of hurt when we know that we can just be with what is. And to me, that is the greatest superpower I can give him Mm. is to sense into what's going on and to trust that it is okay because it is. And to trust that, you know, I always say to my clients, the only bad energy is stuck energy. So we're just going to move the energy and you know that the wave will always move. So (laughs) let's just be in it till it moves. I love that sort of taking away the gender aspect of the, the masculine and feminine. And with my son, it, it really played out in the gender way, I think, because um, like my, when I got divorced, the, the statement that my ex-husband made to me that made me say, okay, I'm leaving this marriage was, he said, you know, Heidi, I'm not attracted to you. And it's because you're too emotional. So I said to myself, well, this is actually the most beautiful thing about me. And if that's what this person does not like about me, then this is not the right connection, right? So my my son's father actually is a very sensitive, emotional person too. And that's part of what I loved about him. And so from my perspective, when I see that emotion in my son, I, I don't want him to have a life experience that tells him that that's not okay. Like my, my, his father experienced, right? Like I have a lot of grief Mm. thinking about that. That's part of what's going on for his dad. 
So there was a moment, this is, this is like one of my favorite stories. Um, my son was about four and he was playing soccer and he did not like soccer because he did not want to go be aggressive to everybody. He wanted to just chill mm-hmm. out. Right. And so his, his, his father's mom was there with me at the soccer field and um, Joey started crying and his mom said, don't cry. Don't cry. And I looked at her and I was like, don't you ever tell my son not to cry. And she was just like, Oh my God, Heidi. And I said to her and, and you know, cause I can be kind of dramatic sometimes. I was like, if that message had not been given to his father, I might still be married to him and just set the line there that I wanted my son to have permission to have emotions that, that I want all humans to have that permission. But I, I really feel like it's a big damage to the masculine um, when there's not the permission to have that beautiful part of themselves. So that was my fierce mama bear part of protecting the emotional nature of my child. So important. It's so important. And I think too, there's like a, it's part of, of them becoming their own person. I mean, my son, as sensitive as he is, he doesn't want to talk about his emotions. He also struggles with emotional regulation, um, but he kind of like keeps it in and then it explodes. It's like a, you know, like a eruption sort of thing. We're working on it. Um, but, you know, I, I also, it's more, it's almost like more about the energy for me too, Megan. Like we do tapping, we do EFT. Like you don't have to know what's going on. We're just going to keep moving. We're going to hit the punching bag. We're going to take the walks in the woods. Like we're just going to keep moving. And I'm finding too with Rowan, the more space I give him to decide what he's going to partake in. And again, like they're coming into adolescence, right? But also, um, Oh my gosh. Well, he and I learned this past year that we're, we're both projectors on the human design and you are too. And Mm -hmm. is your son? I don't know if I've looked his up. So my, my ex-husband's mother looked at both of our charts and she was the one that told us that like, Oh my gosh, your charts are nearly identical. Like our charts are nearly identical. And when we learned that, you know, then I could talk to Rowan kind of like side by side. You know, we have a lot of conversations in the car. We moved out of, out of Asheville and then we had a 30 minute car ride to school. So we had a lot of like side to side conversations, which was a lot more space for him to like choose how he wanted to partake in that. And, um, his relationships with people at school, he also has like the, I don't really want to do this guy thing. I don't want to join the teams. I don't want to play soccer. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Cause I don't really act like, I don't want to act like the guys act. I don't like how they're doing that. And so, um, we were able to talk about those personal relationships and about the gender conversation and about, um, leadership into like, what is masculinity? What does it mean to be a man? And he was saying, I don't want to identify as boy. If boy means I have to pick on girls. If boy means I have to care about what kind of sneakers or I have to like carry wads of money in my pocket, like the things that he was seeing the other fifth graders do. And um, so we were able to talk about, you know, 
that projector nature, a little bit of leadership as, well, you just, you decide what you are and then you walk forward as you, and you can call yourself boy. You can call yourself like, I don't, you know, somewhere in the middle of boy, girl, like whatever you want to call yourself, but you decide how you move forward. And, um, so anyway, I was kind of weaving a couple things there together, but that really, I don't know the, the like freedom to choose. Like I don't, I can't make him talk about emotions. My kids like, no. <laughs> Force never not, works. It just doesn't. Doing it, you know, <laughs> I have to leave like a very wide girth of invitation. And, um, yeah, I think in most things I'm saying at this point with him, it's like invitation, take it or leave it. I think cultivating the, the, the feminine archetype quality of emotional intelligence is not only about um, learning how to recognize what they are and, and name them, but also I think what you've mentioned, regulation, like how do we regulate our emotions and take responsibility for our emotional world? That's another really key part. Right. And letting them take that responsibility, right? Because mm-hmm. as helper healer types, it's very easy for us to say, here's what you should do. I've got an idea. Yeah. And that <laughs> takes away the responsibility. That's leaving it with us. The, the, the power, in a sense, is with us. And so I knew, because I'd had many clients who, like, their parents had forced them to take to get their Reiki attunements when they were young and stuff. And so they went through this whole like rejection before they could claim it again. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to push my stuff on him, but he is going to see me use it. He's going to see me talk about it. And I'm going to be like, I don't know if you're interested, but I got this. I use, I've used this before. (laughs) And it was just like, I would just leave breadcrumbs. And I mean, again, as with work with clients, when you offer something and they choose to take it, they, they, they digest it and own it more fully. And, and then when it works, it reinforces itself. So that has been, um, a big practice in patience and trust as a parent for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think maybe we'll end on this topic if, if, um, that's okay. But leaving the breadcrumbs and choosing, we had an experience this morning where um, I wanted to go make an offering to this land that we are leaving, but we've, we've lived on. And it's like a very sacred piece of land. A lot of very important things have happened here. And I had told him yesterday, Rowan, I, I want to do this and I would like you to join in the morning. Like I would like to have this little morning. Thank you ritual in the woods by the river. Okay, mom. Okay, mom. And then when it came to the morning, he was like, no, don't want to do it. And I stood there with myself and I was like, okay, this is just my attachment to it being a certain way. So, okay, Rowan, then don't come. And part of, part of it was kind of like, okay, son, you also know that it means something to me. So get your ass down there, you know? <laughs> so, but, so, so I was like, which one am I going to choose? You know? And finally I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go down there and fight. And so I'm just going to leave it. And uh, I went walked down the hill to the river and I was like, you know, doing, doing the sacred practice, making the offering, saying the thank yous. And he came down and um, what he had needed was we had packed all of his clothing and he couldn't find his warm clothing. He wasn't saying this need, you know, he's just like, I'm not going out. And so he had found his warm clothing, put on his warm clothing 
And then when he chose to step into that, it was like this little, like, I don't know, profit. Like he was like a little prophet <laughs> at the river. He was like saying his gratitude. He's like, mom, let me show you this other sacred spot. He's using the word sacred. <laughs> so so he's like, who is this child? Who is this child? He's your child. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, he's hearing it. And then um, he needed this wide open girth to like choose it. And then when he stepped in, he was actually leading some of the practices and um, and just really just stepped in fully and totally embraced it. So, uh, but if I had pushed it, it would, it would not have happened that way for sure. Yeah. But yeah, anything about sacred practices um, for your boys? Any like rituals, any, I mean, life, all of life is sacred, but. I mean, I love what you're saying that they kind of observe us and they take what works for them and what doesn't work for them. Um, one thing that Joey and I do is, um, I don't know if y'all know the Anne Lamott book, please. Well, it's called Help, Thanks, Wow. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like the three things to say prayer about. So mm-hmm. since Joey, we before before bed every night, we always say, help, you know, please help. So we ask for help for something. We say, say a thank you. And then we say a wow. And mm-hmm. often it's the same thing for him. Like he usually says, please help me have a good day tomorrow. Thanks for all the fun I had today. Um, wow. I can't believe how much I love all my family, especially my mom. So he is pleasing me a little bit, <laughs> but um, I think the, I just like that the, this ritual has been put in his mind around something to focus on. So that's one of, that's mm-hmm. one of our sacred, the sacred things. We do what well, we did for several years and he kind of, I guess I'll grew it. We may circle back, but we did at bedtime because that's such a sacred time. Rose thorn bud. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you all are familiar with that. Rose mm-hmm. is something like a good thing that happened that day. Something you're grateful for thorn, something that was challenging. And, and I really like that one because it, it invites them to name it mm-hmm. um, and not in a problem solving way. And then bud something you're looking forward to. And we also got to the point where we would add petals, which was kind of our twist on it. Something you want to let go of and not take into your dreams and into your day tomorrow. Um, And we did that every night for probably two or three years. And of course, the intention behind it was just to have a meaningful conversation and to really hold the both and Mm -hmm. like the really sparkly parts of life and the challenging parts and Mm -hmm. Um, I think all of us have, we, we tend to want to focus on one or the other more. Right. Yeah. I want to put out one more tool maybe for um, those energetically sensitive kiddos. So when Rowan's going to sleep, we use the visual of the river that we live by and we ask it to float anything away that no longer serves. And then um, it's a shamanic ritual, but you, he calls himself back. So letting go of anything and then also like I, I'm calling to gather back the parts of myself that I may have left in that argument or with that friend or over there in the woods or wherever and, and he calls himself back and then he just asks for you know protection for the evening um, like while he sleeps and that his, that his dreams are cleansing and clearing and that kind of thing. I really love that you know I know that I've seen Heidi's altar. I have an altar in my home. Megan, I'm assuming that you have an altar in your home. Like we're raising boys into men who are witnessing these deep feminine practices mm-hmm. um, in the home. And so as the feminine is like awakening on the planet and maybe they'll partner with women in the future, like they're just, 
it's natural that women are taking space. The women in their lives are taking space in the spiritual way um, and, and cultivating in that realm. So I love that. Yeah. And, and I don't know about you, Heidi or, or Sarah, but I know I will watch my son like for a while he had his own altar and he often wants to add to mine. And you know, it's this, again, it's that invitation. Like he sees that it's meaningful to me and I'll tell him I'm going to go in and do my practice, which is pulling cards and meditating, whatever. And that he gets to create his own. Cause I'm a big believer that practice doesn't have to be something that was structured for you. In fact, often it's most meaningful when you structure it based on what feels most right and aligned and true. And so for him, that as an 11 year old boy is going to look really different than it does to me as a 40 year old woman. And, and it all gets to be sacred, which is really cool. As long as the intention is there. Yeah. Joey has a rock altar and a feather altar. And this, um, a couple weeks ago, he had a, a Yoda figurine that had got beheaded and he decided he wanted to place the head of Yoda on his feather altar. <laughs> Rock on. I loved oh, yeah. it. Oh my God. It was so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. Rowan is like really attuned to stones and nice. like that was his natural you know, magnetism. And so when I would do Reiki, he would get out stones and he's like, okay, mom, let me put stones on you. So this little child would like feel the energy of the different stone and put it on the body. Man, oh man. Yeah. He hasn't done that in a while. But (laughs) yesterday I said, okay, the Reiki hands are hot. You want some? And he's like, uh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> came on over and like tucked in. <laughs> so. Yeah, I have a, a joke with my son because at night he's very routine oriented. He loves a good routine and sticks to it. And so we do our kind of routine and then he'll say, I'll lay with him for like two minutes before I get up. And he'll always say, will you give me some Reiki mom? And so I put my hand on his heart. That's always where he wants it. And I asked him one night, I was like, man, do you, do you really want Reiki or you just want me to touch you? And he was like... <laughs> A little bit of both. (laughs) (laughs) So my flavor of the sacred is also very quirky and human and real. And I think that goes well with pre-adolescent boy needs. (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) Totally. And normalizing for him too, like the touch. Yeah, touch feels good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rowan's been like snuggling into bed and he's like, I don't get, I don't want to sleep with a shirt on anymore. I'm too old for that. And so, oh my gosh, what he would do if he heard me telling that on my podcast. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, son. But, you know, he was oh, just photo, like, photo. <laughs> but he was like, skin feels good. I was like, skin does feel good, you know, but I want to continue to cultivate that. Like, yes, touch, skin, also responsibility. Also, yes. you know, all the things, all the things. Mm-hmm. But like, you don't begin to shut off from your emotions or to shut off from touch or shut off from mama. Um just because you're becoming a young man. Mm-hmm. So awesome. Any final thoughts from the two of you? What comes up for me is just this, this bottom line reminder over and over again as parent of any child, but especially I think there's something between a mother and a son is like, he is initiating and inviting my growth and evolution at every stage in the game probably even more than I can be affecting him. And 
just through all of the messiness, because there has been messiness, there will be messiness and in, in parenting and trying to cultivate that understanding that it's all got such beautiful and sacred purpose for both of us. And, and there's this sense of trusting in the messiness and trusting in the not knowing that I keep coming home to. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my closing thoughts are what Megan said. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Well, and and actually, if if I could add to that, that that there's no shame in that. I think, you know, my mom and dad will joke all the time about like, Joey's raising you as much as you're raising him. And when I first hear that, I get sort of a little bit of like a little shame trigger, but I love how you just said it, Megan, because it's, it just speaks to the truth of what all relationships are. They help us grow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's humbling and it's meant to be. That's how, you know, growth is there. Yeah. Mm, I love it. Yeah. Sometimes I'm just like, okay, what's Rowan doing? You know, even when he's like, I'm not going to the river with you, mom. You know, I'm like, okay, he's, he's wise and he's on his own path and his path is informing mine. So it's all sacred. So don't go to the river. Fine. Whatever, (laughs) you know? So uh, beautiful. Well, I would love to invite you to speak into the space where people can find you and, and your work in the world. If you're interested in that, Megan. Yeah. So I'm Megan O'Malley and my website is fiercelovewaycom I'm a holistic life leadership coach and my favorite, favorite place to hang out is in the Insta world. And my Instagram is fiercelovewey and um, you can play in my um, spiritual and hip hop quirkiness in the Instagram stories on the rigs. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Yeah, my name is Heidi Anderson, and my um, my website is reclaimingbeauty.com, which fits very well with the sacred remembering idea. Uh, that's where you can find me. Thank you. Thanks to both of you for being here and for yeah. just being honest and open and real. And thanks, thanks for all the things you're doing with your boys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so fun. This is Sarah Poet of Embodied Breath, and thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I'm curious, what was your biggest takeaway? Remember that you are not alone on the sacred path, and women are rising now together. You can visit my website, sarahpoet.com, for more tools and inspiration to support your sacred remembering path. Please be sure to check the show notes, subscribe to this podcast, share with a friend, and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I love to hear from you. Stay connected, and here's to your path of sacred remembering.